0: Well, good morning again and welcome, welcome, welcome. It is so good to be with you. Jason and I, we missed you guys. Um, we've been gone for a bit. Uh, we were in Sacramento, it feels like a year ago, um, for Jason's stepmom's memorial. And then I left the day that we got back to go up to leadership camp. So I have spent many restful days with uh, 200 high school students and um, you guys I am so pumped up for you guys as a spirit it was a lot of that Um, but one of the really cool things that I get to do at the end of camp is give a talk about how um, leading well requires that you set yourself aside and to focus on other people And um, it is just really fun. And I even say this is not a church thing. In fact, it's pretty um, opposed to the way of Jesus. And mostly because people don't understand their picture of who God is and what human flourishing is. It's just um, askew. And it's heartbreaking when you see that played out. In, in a life. And so I get to stand on a stage and look at these people and invite them into the way of Jesus and say, I run a church. And um, that's just been a really cool thing that I have gotten to do over the years. But it's also such a cool reminder to me of what flourishing is to have my eyes off of myself and all the things I'm hoping for and I think I should do and be and and to just think about how do I make the world better and bring heaven to earth, and so I'm pumped up this morning, and I'm excited to be here with you, and for those of you that don't know, if you are here and you're volunteering to coach or assistant coach or help with soccer club, not registration, not lunches, not the store, but actual coaching on the field, today is our training day right after church, and so we're, yeah, Um, We get our T-shirts and everything, and we're going to meet together in the downstairs building right after church. We're going to have lunch for you, and that will be set up. And so, just grab your lunch, make your way to a table, sit with your coaching team. That's going to be on a video screen, and we will rock and roll as quick as we can after church is over. Um, But soccer club is coming, not this Monday, but the next one. And while I was away from camp and without some cell service. We had a few volunteers that had some things come up in their schedule, and they're not able to be here. And so I'm sending a red alert. It's going to be fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Um, But uh, we need some help with check-in in the morning specifically, as well as with our camp store. And those can be different things. You don't have to wear the same hat. So maybe you have some availability between 10 a.m. and about 10.45, where you could help with that check-in piece, a warm, welcoming smile to families and kids as they get their name tags on each morning, all five days. And then we have our camp store. And that happens from noon till about... 1230 I want to say depending on how many volunteers we have the line can get pretty long and so that's why we like to have a few more people so if you might be able to help even a day or two it'll just help things go more smoothly if you could do that and the way that you would sign up for that is by texting the word soccer to the Brickview number that's behind me or you can also fill out the connect card that is on your seat or if you're watching online this morning, you can go to brookviewchurch.com forward slash contact, and that card will be there as well. And I will get in touch with you, not tomorrow, because we all know tomorrow, Jen and Jason don't work, but Tuesday, I will be so excited um, to connect with you and give you all the details. That Connect card on your seat, and for those of you watching online, is your way of communicating with us We love hearing from you. And so go ahead and fill that out. At the end of church, there's a basket in the foyer and you can drop those in. Um, But other than that, that's it. Let's do this.
1: good morning everybody if you can't tell we got a new projector and so Brian Durr suggested I just preach like this because I'll tell you guys I'm irrationally excited about crisp video uh pretty cool so um as Jen mentioned July we've been gone and July has been kind of out of body for me Jen and I had been gone from church for three of the last four weeks. And so we spent some quiet time away, just the two of us, in a place called Manson. How many of you know where Manson is? Nice. Um, at just a beautiful home of friends from Brookview, actually, on Lake Chelan. And it was incredibly restorative. And to our friends watching online, thank you. Um, and then we spent a family weekend in Portland watching our, our, our youngest ball out down there and against some of the best of the best on the west coast and it was awesome super fun for all of us um Brooklyn's team played in basketball tournament Kate went and so I got to just spend time a lot of time there was a little bit of court time but mostly it was just me with my with my three lovely ladies and it was super just a fantastic weekend and then last weekend um last week really Jen and I went to Sacramento to see my dad Um, my stepmom passed in March, and. Her memorial was on Saturday, and because of COVID, and I've talked about this before, but because of COVID and my dad caring for his wife with Alzheimer's by himself at home, I hadn't seen my dad in over four years. And he's 80 now. And so we were able to spend five straight evenings with him, um, going to dinner and just spending time with him. And then we attended the memorial. And he asked, in the like spur of the moment, asked Jen and I to speak. And so we did that. Um, and so being there was really good, and it was really tough, and it was really emotional all at the same time. And I know that um, some of you guys were praying for us, and I just want to thank you because really this whole month, I, ha- I just feel like God has been moving in me and all around me, and I'm super grateful. Um, I'm also really grateful for Bryce and Annie who spoke here. Bryce comes all the way down from Arlington Annie drives all the way up from south of Portland to come up here just to talk to you people. Um, and we don't, I mean, we pay them both, but not that much. And so it's like they really like you or something. But Jen and I are back, and here's what I want you to know we are back for good. Yeah. So, except for one week, you guys are, you, you guys are stuck with us between now and 2024. I'm serious. Um, and so today we're we're launching a, a five week series that's going to carry us all the way through the rest of the summer, and I've given quite a bit of thought as to what we should do. What, what should these five weeks look like? And um, one way to sort of categorize sermons is that they're either vertical or they're horizontal. So vertical ones they focus primarily on our relationship with God. Okay. Horizontal ones focus on our relationship with people, and of course. Both are super important, right? Well, recently, it feels like the vast majority of what we've been doing is, is vertical. Um, and in the fall, we're going to do a, we're going to, it's going to, you guys, oh my gosh. <laughs> we're going to do a series on prayer, and I think it is going to be unbelievable. I, I really do. It is, it is impacting me in a huge way in my own life, and I can't wait to share that with you and get us going on that together. But that is also going to be very vertical. And so um, for the next five weeks, I was like, I want to do something horizontal to think about relationships and what enables relationships to thrive. And so I want us to think about how we relate and talk to each other, the way that we use words, because words are powerful, right? Our lives are shaped by words, the words spoken to us, the words spoken over us, the words spoken about us. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about the power of words, Words can heal. Words can restore. Words can inspire. But also, words can wound. Words can destroy. Wars are fought over words. Relationships end over words. And we we teach our kids, right, to say sticks and stones. But the idea that words can never hurt us, that's, that's actually a ridiculous idea. And we've all been wounded by word, words spoken to us or over us or about us. And some of you have spent your whole life trying to overcome the damage of somebody's words spoken to or over you. Words are powerful, and so how we use them matters. And so we're going to kick this thing off today with a very simple idea. This is something that we talked about several years ago, but I want to come back to it because I think it's, it's critical, um, especially in this cultural moment that we're in right now. It is critical. So let me give you the bottom line for today's message. Here it is. Quick to listen, slow to speak. I love that some of you said, hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, I ta- again, I taught on this many years ago, I, five years ago. And so we used a little uh, like exercise to help burn this idea into our psyches. And does anybody remember, does anybody, can anybody remember what that looked like? Okay, demonstrate. Andrew Marchial is the only one that remembers my sermon. (laughs) (laughs) Extra credit for you, Andrew. Okay, all right, we got a couple of others. You didn't even see him, that's pretty good. It went like this, okay, it went quick to listen, slow to speak, okay, quick to listen, slow to speak. I want you to do that with me on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Quick to listen, slow to speak. One more time. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Very good. Now, why why the open hands part of this? It's because if you're engaged in a tough conversation, we don't really realize it, but what happens is our body tenses up and as our hands and our body cinch up, often so does our heart. So naturally, what happens with humans is our mind and our soul start to close off. And part of the reason this happens is because we want something. We want the same thing the other person that we're arguing with wants. Both of us want to be heard and understood, right? You, You want me to be quick to listen to you and slow to speak, and I want the same thing from you. So I'm like, you know what, if you have to say something then right, like right in the middle of this conversation, then say something that indicates to me that you're hearing me. Let me know that what I'm saying and what I'm feeling is being, is being digested by you. And I need that because here's human nature. Human nature is I can't really hear you until I feel like you've heard me. And you can't really hear me until, uh, until you feel like I've heard you. So real quick, one more time. Okay, one, two, three, quick to listen, slow to speak. Okay, now, many of you know that this statement comes from an ancient document, that I'm getting this from a letter written by James, the little brother of Jesus. And some of you are like, Jesus had siblings? He did. Little brothers and little sisters. Is that a crazy thought? Just, okay. Okay. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your older brother? I think so. I think he would be a great older brother. Most of us are like, you know, you're doing something that's like, Jesus saw that. (laughs) But I don't think it would have gone like that. I think he was pretty gracious and pretty awesome. But just out of curiosity, how how many of you have a brother? Raise your hand if you have a brother. Many of you. Okay, question for you. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he's the son of God? Here's what's interesting. Like from a historical standpoint, James actually doesn't show up during the story of Jesus. He shows up after the story of Jesus. He joins the movement of Jesus very late, like after Jesus's death. So in the gospels, Jesus's younger siblings were not like fully on board. They were often confused and upset by him. Jesus was doing things and he was claiming things that seemed kind of absurd to them. I mean, he was healing, and he was teaching, and he was getting very famous. And oftentimes, it rattled them. They, they were not fully on board. But after his death and resurrection, James changed his mind about the whole Son of God thing. And if you think about it, a resurrection is pretty convincing, right? Right? I mean, you stand with your mom and many others and you watch Roman soldiers execute your brother by crucifixion and then a few weeks later you're having breakfast with him. You're eating with him. Like that might change your mind. Well, for James, that was a complete game changer. So as a historical figure, James emerges as the leader of the church in Jerusalem and it is the very place where the political powers executed his brother. And so James led the new church in Jerusalem for about 30 years, and then he experienced a very unfortunate ending to his life. And we know this not because it's in the Bible, but because a first century historian named Josephus wrote about it. So here's what happened. Around 62 AD, about 30 years after the resurrection, James just continues to preach and teach about the love of Jesus and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And many Jewish people all in and around Jerusalem are becoming followers of Jesus. And so many of the Jewish leaders are very concerned. They see Christianity as like a cult and James is the cult leader. So like Jesus, they devised a way to have James executed. They have a sham of a trial and very quickly have James stoned to death. And James, now James could have lived. He didn't have to go through that. All he had to do was renounce Jesus in the resurrection. But he refused. He literally staked his life on the resurrection of his brother and Lord, Jesus. Jesus. Now, again, this is, this is not from the Bible. This is from a first-century historian. It's according to Josephus, a Jewish historian who was opposed to Christianity. James was killed for believing his brother was his resurrected Savior. And the reason that this is so documented and gets so much, get, uh, was such a big deal at the time is that James had a very famous nickname among the people of Jerusalem. And you talk about, like, bad things happening to good people, James was such an incredible man and leader that he became known among the people of Jerusalem and around as James the Just. So he taught and he modeled a life of love and care and justice, beautifully pouring himself out for the broken and the poor. And you go, geez, I wonder where he got that idea. But before all of that went down, before his execution, James wrote a letter to Christians in and around Jerusalem. And in that letter, he talks a ton about living out the faith. It doesn't talk a lot about Jesus and theology. It's more just like, let's live this thing, right? And, and, and he spends a lot of time talking about how important it is to really listen to each other. So much of what we're going to look at over the next five weeks comes out of that letter, but in chapter 1, To Christians in and around Jerusalem, James wrote this. He said, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Like your first priority, the number one thing, the most important thing you can do relationally is be quick to listen and slow to speak. Before you do anything else, listen. Now, this is what we want other people to do for us, right? So it's as if James is saying, this is just more of what Jesus taught you. Do for others as you'd have them do for you. You want to be heard? Yeah. You want to be understood? Yeah. Well, then do that for others, right? Be quick to listen, slow to speak. And you guys, here's what I know. When I think about the people in this world that I love most, my absolute worst relational moments are when I don't do this. I, I hurt the people that I love when I'm quick to speak and slow to listen. And I hurt the people that I, I don't really love even more when I'm quick to speak and slow to listen. And I think about the world of parenting. I don't know about, you know, I don't know about for you guys. For me, parenting's super easy. <laughs> it's just so easy. It's so natural kids come out and they come with a manual just do these things it's going to go great but i think about this in the context of parenting because what what's so natural for me it's like it's like i'm tempted to just sort of take my big like wisdom and advice bucket my like i have the wisdom bucket my i have the experience bucket my i have the insight bucket and you don't even have frontal lobe development yet so you stop talking now, and I'm going to pour all of my great and bountiful wisdom and experience into you. Because when we do th- too much of that in any relationship, we see what happens. And it's kind of like this. Hey, where are you going? How come you don't want to talk to me? How, how come you don't tell me about all the hard things in your life anymore, or all the great things in your life anymore? How come, how come you never want to hang out with me anymore? Here's the crazy thing. You can be dead right and do horrific damage. You can write the person that you love right out the door. You can write the person you love right out of the relationship. You you can write your all-star employee right out of the company. You can write your best friend right out of wanting to hang out with you anymore. Because here's the thing. We all want to be understood, not lectured. And usually, I'm open to listening to your ideas, but first, I need you to at least partially understand how I feel and what I'm trying to communicate to you. So we know this is important, and we've all been on both sides of this, right? And as parents, we've all seen, those of you that are parents, we've all seen our kids' eyes glaze over. As a parent, like, have you ever walked away from a conversation or a season of life going, I don't understand. I know I'm right. I know I'm giving them good advice. I know I'm giving them wise counsel. Why is it that we just can't communicate? So in our culture, meaningful conversations are becoming, in my opinion, as I observe, they're becoming increasingly rare. And it's causing relational breakdowns everywhere. So in 2015, Celeste Headley gave a TED Talk called 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation. And Headley is a radio journalist, most most notably from in lots of different places, but most notably from NPR. And so many years ago in 2015, her TED talk, I watched it shortly after she gave it, and it just resonated with me. Um, and I have taken so much away from it over the years, and it's enabled me to have better and better and better conversations. Like with my kids, okay, with my wife, with you guys, with people that I enjoy and agree with and people I don't enjoy and disagree with. Maybe some of you're like, "Wait. You're a pastor. Are there people you don't enjoy?" <laughs> I enjoy you. Look, my job, my job as a follower of Jesus is to love everyone the best that I can, whether I enjoy them or not. But learning to talk to people, it actually helps me enjoy people a lot more and a lot more often. So Celeste Headley uh, opens her famous talk saying this. She says, I make my living talking to people. Nobel Prize winners, truck drivers, billionaires, kindergarten teachers, heads of state, plumbers. I talk to people that I like. I talk to people that I don't like. I talk to some people that I disagree with deeply on a personal level, but I still have a great conversation with them. How? By being genuinely interested in people. She continues, she says, Many of you have already heard a lot of advice on this. Things like, look the person in the eye. Think of interesting topics to discuss in advance. Nod and smile and show you're paying attention. Repeat back what you just heard or summarize it. I want I to tell you to forget all of that. It is crap. <laughs> there is no reason to learn how to show you are paying attention if you are, in fact, paying attention. So quickly, let me give you her like 10 tips for having better conversations. And many of these, by the way, will not be brand new ideas for you. The question isn't, have you heard this? Like, did you know this? The question, the, the question is always, are you doing it? Right, honestly, if you just pick one of these and you commit to doing it better, it can have an immediate impact on your conversation. So let me run through these really quickly. Number one, don't multitask. Now this goes beyond like putting down your phone or your tablet, it means, it means being committed to being as fully present as possible, like being fully in the moment. So, so don't be thinking about the argument that you had with your boss or what you're gonna have for dinner or what you need at the grocery store. If you want out of the conversation get out of the conversation but don't be half in and half out okay number two don't pontificate don't go on long rants like leave room in the conversation so Headley says it like this if you want to state your opinion without any opportunity for response or argument or pushback or growth write a blog You need to enter every conversation assuming you have something to learn. Everybody you will ever meet knows something you don't. Number three, use open-ended questions. So don't ask yes and no response types of questions. Were you sad? Were you terrified? Was it fun? Those, Those questions don't let them describe their experience. It's just like, yes, I was sad. Yes, I was terrified. Yes, it was fun. Or no, it wasn't fun. Journalists and counselors get taught to avoid those kinds of questions for a reason. Because better questions are things like, what was that like? Like, how did that feel? So let them describe the experience instead of framing it for them. And now, th- this is especially true with, parents, with for parents with their kids. Like, open-ended questions cause them to actually have to stop and think and verbalize something. And sometimes you get a a much deeper, better thought uh, response out of your kids. Okay, number four, go with the flow. So in a conversation, allow the other person to take the conversation somewhere. Like if you want to hear them and know them, then go with the flow. So don't just be hell-bent on saying your thing or telling your story. Um, Headley points out, that during most conversations, stories and ideas are going to come to you. You need to let them come and let them go. And there are moments and times, like in conversations, where it's totally appropriate to to say your thing or to tell your story. But if you hijack conversations all of the time, if you always take them where it is you want them to go, if you never go with the flow, you will find that people don't want to talk to you very much. Number five, if you don't know, say you don't know. Don't pretend to be an expert on everything. There are going to be topics that are outside the realm of your expertise. And so when you're out of your depth, just say so. Okay, number six, don't equate your experience with theirs. So avoid saying, oh, I know exactly how you feel. Because you don't. Just because you lost a family member doesn't mean you know how they feel in losing theirs. Your experience isn't their experience. It's never the same. And for heaven's sakes, like, don't take their moment of pain and make it about you. So like, if they're struggling at work, don't start talking about your horror story from work. Like, Don't, don't take their story and make it all about you. Number seven, try not to repeat yourself. Say that again. No, I, I, I. <laughs> don't keep making the same point like in a conversation it just it gets old now this is especially true in an argument like it's one thing in just a regular but in an this is when it this is when the temptation goes skyrocketing for you to repeat the same thing keep making the same point point. and if you keep doing that and they aren't responding here's the thing there's a reason there's a reason they're not responding so stop I have a friend with a history of lengthy arguments with his mom, and recently he wanted to agree to disagree. They had been going around and around on something, but she wouldn't relent. And so he eventually said to her, point blank, and I think this is pretty savage, he said, Mom, do you have any new information to bring to this discussion? Because if you don't, I think we're done. Bold. But here's the thing, if you just keep making the same point, it gets annoying, okay? And this is one for me that I'm, I'm really trying to work on, especially with my kids, because I've noticed at times that I, I really want them to get or to value something. So what happens is I, I become guilty of saying the same thing again and again and again, and it's not helpful. And eventually, it ends conversations, and eventually, it erodes relationship, okay? Number eight, stay out of the weeds, in other words, don't worry about meaningless details, right? You're telling the story, and you're like, so, yeah, we were in Los Angeles. No, wait, that was Orange County. No, wait, it was Los Angeles. No, wait, was it? No, I think, no, it was 1991. No, it was 1992. The other, the, you've lost them, right? <laughs> Keep the heart of the conversation on the heart of the matter, uh, headley says frankly people don't care about the years the names the dates all those details that you're struggling to come up with in your mind they don't care what they care about is you they care about what you're like what you have in common so forget the details leave them out number nine listen so headley says that even though it's number nine it's really the most important of all and she regretted not making it number 10 just listen listen Meaning don't don't be thinking about what you're going to say next. Don't worry about the point that you're trying to make. Just listen. And you guys, this is tough because the average person talks at about 225 words per minute, but we're capable of listening at up to 500 words per minute. So what happens is our minds start to fill in the gap with those other 275 words. So we have to push past those thoughts and just listen. And it might be why some of you aren't listening right now you're just like, come on, man, speed it up. I got it. And your mind is wandering. Bring it back. Okay, so this is death for meaningful conversations. Um, If you just let your mind wander and you're not engaged, it's death for meaningful. Can you have conversations? Yes, just not meaningful ones. Uh, Headley says it like this. She says, look, I know. It takes effort and energy to actually pay attention to someone. But if you can't do that, you're not in a conversation. You're just two people shouting out barely related sentences in the same place. (laughs) And then number 10, be brief. That needs no explanation. So she closes like this famous talk with this. She says, all of this boils down to the same basic concept, and it's this. Be interested in other people. She says, you know, I grew up with a very famous grandfather and there was kind of a ritual in my home. People would come over to talk to my grandparents and after they would leave, my mother would come over to us and she'd say, do you know who that was? She was runner-up to Miss America. He was the mayor of Sacramento. She won a Pulitzer Prize. He's a Russian ballet dancer. And I kind of grew up assuming everyone has some hidden amazing thing about them. And honestly, I think that's what makes me a better host. I keep my mouth shut as often as I possibly can, I keep my mind open, and I'm always prepared to be amazed. You do the same thing. Go out, talk to people, listen to people, and most importantly, be prepared to be amazed. So, a real simple way to summarize her entire talk, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Okay, let's keep going in James. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, slow to become angry is both a result and a decision. If you're quick to listen and slow to speak, you're less likely to become angry. And it's easier to guard against your anger if you decided up front, you know what, I'm just going to be curious and I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to really listen. Now, anger comes in a lot of different forms, right? Some people blow up like a volcano. Some people, they get all moody and they isolate. Some people get passive-aggressive or sarcastic, right? And James is saying all of that stuff is bad for relationships. And so one of the ways to bypass this rush to anger is to listen better, to be able to understand where the other person is coming from. And that's the type of anger James is referencing here. He's not saying that all anger is to be avoided like in any context. In this context, uh, in James, we could define anger this way. angry is drawing hasty, misinformed, relationally destructive conclusions. So it's hastily jumping to your form of anger, whether it's blowing up or isolating, being passive-aggressive or sarcastic or whatever it is for you. The best way to avoid that is to just slow down to do your very best to understand the other person. And here's the thing. This is sometimes hard to believe, but most people are not completely irrational. They aren't. So when they feel a certain way, there's a reason. Like whether it's your kids, or your spouse, or your friend, or your coworker, or your mom, when when you face an idea, or a thought, or a value that makes no sense, try to give them the benefit of the doubt. Remember, the things people do, say, and believe make sense to them. So here's the thing. When you find yourself thinking, I don't know why they would say that. I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why they would believe that. Then it's vital that you do your best to find out. You get curious, and you ask questions, and you listen attentively. Like, in the end, you may still take a different view, and that's totally okay. But at least, at least you under like at least you understand and they feel understood like over the last 4 years with with covid and all of the political craziness and all the tense tenseness going on th- would you agree this has been deeply lacking in our culture like some people seem allergic to even hearing opposing views it it's just too humbling or too uncomfortable so for many, the approach just seems to be, okay, I'm just going to stay locked into my view and hang, hang, and hang only around people who think just like me and see the world as I do, so we can sit around together and say, can you believe all those idiots over there? Like, how can anybody do that? How can anybody say that? How can anybody believe that? You guys, as followers of Jesus, we cannot just devolve into that. We can't. Not that you're, you're going you're gonna to agree with everybody on everything, but we have to at least listen. So the next time you find yourself thinking, why would my son act like that? Why would my wife believe that? Why would my old friend do that? The best thing you can do is be curious, ask questions, be quick to listen, and slow to speak. Some of you have read Stephen Covey's book, right, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Or maybe for many of you, you haven't read it, but you're familiar with the habits because they're like everywhere. They're everywhere in our culture because they're really, really good. Um, Well, habit number five sounds a whole lot like the instruction of James. Stephen Covey, uh, many of you know, is a Mormon guy, and so he probably read uh, James. But here's what Stephen Covey has as habit number five. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And so only once I understand where someone else is coming from, only then do I seek to be understood because... They don't want to listen to me until I listen to them. And this is really hard because I can think I understand what they're saying and where they're coming from when I don't. I always hear through the filter of my own experience, right? So every word you speak to me, it comes to me through my filter, okay? My age turned 50 this year, you guys. I'm not cool anymore. <laughs> Some of you are like, you haven't been cool for 30 years. <laughs> okay, well, you know, in my generation, we had certain ways of thinking about things, right? It, it, goes, it comes through my age. It comes through where I went to school, what part of the country I grew up in, how I grew up, the socioeconomic status and education level and the, the things that have caused me pain in my life, all of my experiences. So every idea you, you try to express has to go through my filter to get to me. And sometimes I I can jump to horrific conclusions about what you're saying, but I am a fool to judge you or dismiss you if I don't understand you. And so the only way to do that is to slow down and become curious and ask a lot of questions, right? It is quick to listen, slow to speak. James goes on, he says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to be, become angry because and i think that it's easy to think that we already know why we think oh yeah i know why i should do this because if i'm calmer i'll be more convincing right if i'm patient and tranquil then i can just kind of reel them in and it's better for them as far as you know it's easier for me to win them over to my side this is a tactic this is a play this is a this is a strategy to get my way and james is going bro you are completely missing the point let me explain to you james let's say why this is a big deal my dear brothers and sisters take note of this everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that god desires well what is what does that mean what is human anger well in this context human anger is what happens whenever i don't get my way. It's 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 when i must have my way and if i and and I, like i must have my way and i don't get it. But this this human anger is tricky and here's what's really tricky about it. It doesn't feel wrong to me at all. This kind of anger it feels very right to me. It feels righteous. And this is why I'm I'm so mad because this is what I care most about. I know I'm right, and I want you to know I'm right. And if I'm honest, I want everyone to know I'm right. I'm angry because I'm right. Are we losing light in here? Am I having a, a mental episode? Let's pray. All right, well, don't let that distract you. I'll try to increase my words to 500 so that that's all that you can think about. A little faster now. Listen, the self righteous anger, this human anger that he's talking about, comes because I'm right. And so this anger is flowing out of like self righteousness. In other words, self rightness. And James says, hold on, like that is not the right righteousness or rightness that God is after that's not the right kind of right so if we could summarize the difference that James is getting at it would be this and this comes from Andy Stanley he says we want to be right at each other but God wants us to be right with each other big difference so I want to convince you that I'm right I want you to throw up your hands and surrender and go "Ooh, you're right but let's be honest, for those of you in, in in relationships, when you when you win a like really vicious, heated argument, what do you really win? You you win the argument, and it's like, yeah, I won the argument. Well, cool. Where is she? Well, I don't know. She left, you know. But I won the argument. Yes, yeah, like you you won the argument, but you lost the relationship. It's like, oh yeah. See, you can can write the people you love right out the door. Your kids, your spouse, your friends. And James is going, come on, guys. That is not the rightness that God longs for. God doesn't want you to be right at one another. He wants you to be right with one another. James is pointing us back to the foundational idea given to us by Jesus. Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you should love one another. And the interesting thing is this. When you read the Gospels, it becomes clear really fast that Jesus' primary mission on earth was not to be right. Now, was Jesus right? Yes. More so than anyone ever. But was, was that his primary mission? I mean, if being right was all he was interested in doing, all he had to really do is go around and preach. That's it. It probably would have taken like one sermon. He could have just gathered everybody together on a hillside by the, by the masses and said, I'm right. Any questions? <laughs> and if they had some questions, he could have hit them with the zingers and one-liners and he could have crushed opposing viewpoints and he could have embarrassed any detractors. He could have done it. But Jesus moved around with humility and grace and tenderness and he taught his followers to do the same. And then he laid his life down. And when he was on trial in front of the Sanhedrin and Pilate and Herod, as he faced all of the false accusations and the lies, if he came primarily to be right, he would not have remained silent. But of course, he didn't primarily come to be right. Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to one another. And so James says to me and he says to you, listen, your ultimate goal in life can't be to be right either. Your goal is not to be right at each other, but to figure out a way to become right with each other. And how do we do that? Well, James says it begins with this. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Because at the end of the day, if the two of you aren't right, it doesn't really matter that much who's right. In a relationship, at the end of an argument or a debate or a conflict, there's no winner if things aren't right between you. And James continues, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, in this context, what's the moral filth that he's talking about? Well, in this context, it's pride, right? It's self-righteousness. The Greek phrase translated get rid of can also be translated take off. And it's the same word that Greeks used to talk about taking off a shirt or a jacket. So it's like James is saying, if you feel this self-righteousness, this pride, this, this anger, this I have to be right no matter the cost of the relationship welling up in you, then take it off like a jacket. Take it off and set it aside and put on something different, something new. Humility. Take off the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. See, humility says... Being right with you is more important than getting my way. And James is saying, look at Jesus. Just look to Jesus. Look at the story. In humility, he laid down his life for the world. Look at his life. Look at his example. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the word that's been planted in you. This is the way. Follow it. It can save you. Not just eternal life one day. Not just life beyond death. It can save you now, like right now, in the here and now. It can save your marriage. It can save your relationship. It can save your job. It can save your relationship with your son or your daughter. It can save you from regretful words. It can save you from having to apologize again. It can save you from acting in anger. It can save you from possibly save you from divorce or from losing the respect of your children. So to wrap it up for today, I just want to take it and put it all together and read it. So here's what what James, the little brother of Jesus, who was martyred in the year 62 A.D. by the political powers because he refused to quit teaching to his own Jewish people that Jesus was the resurrected Son of God. Here's what he says. I'm going to read this to you from two different translations. I'm going to read it twice. First from the NIV. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of or take off all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, right? Pride, arrogance, self-righteousness, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Here's the same passage from Eugene Peterson's The Message Paraphrase. And sometimes it's just really nice to hear it in a little different way. And I I love this. He puts it this way. Post this at all the intersections. Dear friends, lead with your ears, follow with your tongue, and let your your anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger. So throw all the spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Father in heaven, there is so much chaos in our world and so many relational breakdowns happening all around and and in our own lives. Now we're not capable of healing all of that, even if we become really good listeners, but, but you are. You're capable of healing, but you're asking us to do our part, to humble ourselves, to listen, to treat people with dignity and respect, to listen to their ideas and values and experiences before we, we demand that they listen to our ideas and values and experiences. And this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. And I, Father, I, I, I pray for those in the room this morning that, that have a relationship that is, that is it's going sideways and there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of misunderstanding and frustration and anger right now. And I pray that you would you would speak life into hearts. I pray that you would speak hope into hearts. I pray that you would speak love. And God, I pray that you would help us to the best that we the best that we can to be agents of, of healing and openness and hope to others. And I pray that you would I pray that you would restore some stuff. I pray that you would heal it. I pray that as conversations slowly change over time. I pray that things would get better. People would hear one another, understand one another and be drawn together, be reconciled to one another. God would you, would you make us people who continually throughout our lives get better and better and better at being quick to listen and slow to speak. Cuz it's not a tactic. It's just love.